Today on Paralysis to Purpose. But on the way out of prison, Sabor sees me, man, and we hug each other on the sidewalk. He's very emotional. He said, man, I got to ask you something. And I'm like, what is it, Sabor? This guy's my brother, man. So I'm like, what is it, Brother Sabor? And Sabor said, he said, man, when you get out of here, you're going to talk about the stuff you saw in this place, the stuff you experienced in here. Now, we, we used to know, we used to sit around all night in 45 cells and talk about social justice, racism, disparities in the system. He wants to know, am I going to talk about that where everybody can hear it, you know? And I, I was like, man, it's a bore, man. When I get on my feet, brother, you know I will. And what he said to me, David, became a call to action in my life. And this stuff didn't make the pages of the change agent. But what he said to me became a call to action in my life because his words hit me right between the eyes, David, when he said, good. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. This is Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast with David Cooks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. I'm David Cooks, and I tell you what, uh, today's show, I know I say this a lot, I, I get to interview some of the greatest people in the world, and today is no exception. Uh, our our guest today is a speaker, he's an author of two great books, one called The Change Agent, which is a must read. If you haven't read that book, you got to get it. Uh, he co-authored a book called The Coffee Bean uh, with John Gordon. I think um, if you don't know who John Gordon is, look him up, but uh, he's one of the world's most famous speakers and motivational speakers. And he's wrote that book and um, sentenced to 65 years in prison um, after uh, being a college athlete and came came on to some tough times and and turned uh, toward drugs to help him. And that led him down a path of crime eventually and, and to be incarcerated. Um, for 65 years, he was supposed to be there, but he's here today and his story is generational. Uh, as a basketball coach, I know generational talent when I see it. Uh, the first time I saw Magic Johnson play as a kid, I was like, this guy is special. The older I got, I got to see Kobe play and LeBron and, and Michael Jordan. And it's once in a lifetime, you come across really special things and special people. And Damon West and his story is one of those. Um, his heart is amazing. Um, he's a servant. Um, he loves to make a difference in, the, in everyone's lives. He, he's for social justice. I mean, it's so many things. So it's an honor for me to, to have him today on our podcast. And Damon, uh, I am excited and looking forward to you sharing with our audience today. David, man, look, let me tell you something. Thank you for having me and thank you for spending your time with me today, man. Your time is the most valuable thing you have. And you've given me a chance to be useful in your world, your world of people. I mean, people I've never met before. Maybe I can help someone today. Maybe we can help someone today with this conversation we're going to have. So I'm looking forward to it, brother. Yeah, well, let, let's dig in. So let's go. Let's go. For listeners who know paralysis to purpose, we know that paralysis can take on many forms. It can be physical, like mine. It can be psychological. It can be financial. It can be relationships. It can take on many, many forms. And what we try to do is we try to um, feature stories that go from difficult places to fulfilling purpose. And along that way, there are three things we love to talk about: your perspective, how you see a thing your perseverance, how hard you want to work at it. And lastly, partnerships, because the one thing I can say about my life, I haven't had to make this tough journey on my own. I've had people that supported me along the way. And I think Damon's going to uh, be able to share some of those things with us today. Damon, let's talk about paralysis for a minute, because one of the things that you stated, um, you dealt with perception and proportion and how that impacts paralysis. Before we get into your story, I just want to lay that foundation on what you meant by that and, and how that can help us out in terms of understanding uh, paralysis. Yeah, so perception and proportion. Look, I, I'm an addict. I'm a, I'm a recovering addict today. I mean, I've got a program recovery. I mean, that means I, I'm in a 12-step program, and that's how I deal with my addiction. And I, I think every addict, if you're truly an addict like me, you need a program recovery. I don't know what your program is, but mine is a 12-step program. 
And in that 12-step program recovery I got into when I was in prison, which I'm going to be in for the rest of my life, that 12-step that recovery program, mm-hmm. you don't graduate. But in that program recovery, I learned about proportion and perception. Now, in the mind of an addict like me, man, mm-hmm. I am this giant up there, man. My, my lack of proportion is so big. I felt like the world revolved around Damon West. And this was all day, everything Damon wanted, Damon could have. And it was Damon's world. Every relationship was about me. I never knew how to have an adult relationship because relationships, relationships are a two-way street man, and it's a 50-50 deal. Never had one of those in my life until I got into a program recovery and understood relationships. So I had a lack of proportion in my mind about what my value is in the world out there. And the problem with that is that when you have a lack of proportion, you start trying to take control of things you do not control. And and really, I learned in this program recovery that there's only four things I control. I control what I think, what I say, what I feel, and what I do. Hmm. Now, when I have a lack of proportion in my mind, and I start playing a role of someone else that has a lot more power than me playing the role of God. And I start trying to grab things on God's line. And that's when I get into trouble and I hurt other people and I hurt myself mm. because God doesn't need my help to play his role. Man, God's got this, man. And that's why he's giving me my little bitty line to take care of my four things. But that lack of proportion mm. in my mind will have me trying to control things that aren't mine. And my perception of reality changes. Now, when you start feeling like you, you're a God or you have powers of, of God, mm. because God controls that world. It's like during the coronavirus, man. The White House, the World Health Organization, the CDC, none of these folks called me and said, hey, Damon, how do we fix this? What do we do with the economy? And I had all the answers, but no one's calling, man, because it's not on my line. It's not my thing. That's right. But there are people out there, and I've been one of them, that has a lack of proportion in my mind and my perception changes of what my role is in the world. And really, our role is... I, we, we call it, I call it humility, our small little role, because humility I define as being a right size. Mm. And when we are right size, then we, we, we can be useful to other people. And today, David, I'm right sized. Well, I, I, got, I got my pen here. If you're listening and you don't have a pen, you may want to get one because I'm taking notes. Humility <laughs> is being the right size. I don't think I've ever heard it said that way. And that's really, that's really good. Wow. I learned, that, I learned that in recovery. A bunch of other drunks and drug addicts, we all get together in those recovery meetings and you hear some great nuggets of wisdom. Mm. But that was one of the ones I picked up in one of the, my 12-step meetings, man. Wow. Humility is being right size. That's fantastic. All right. So um, we're going to come back to some of the things that you said that um, you, know, you may never get well, but I can always get better. And I, I, I wrote that down because I thought that was such a profound statement um, and understanding who you are, where you are, and what you can do. And that you may never get totally well, but you can get better every day. And I think that's a message that I think sometimes we try to, I know you talked about eating the whole elephant, um, how we try to bite off too much. And then that can be overwhelming. In fact, it can make us gag. And and we don't, we can't move forward. So that's, um, that's really good. So, all right. So let's, um, if we can fast forward, I mean, you you're a college athlete, you, cause I want to spend, I want to spend time in prison with you today if I can. Sure. Um, and before we got to prison, you were, you know, living the life, good quarterback, North Texas uh, university doing your thing. I uh, had a season ending injury um, and things never went quite your way with that whole football thing. And, and you struggled with some of that and you're a compulsive, uh, competitive guy. And you turn to drugs. Those drugs led you down the wrong, wrong, wrong uh, street and you ended up in prison. I want to talk about a couple of situations in prison that I thought were uh, very telling for me. You mentioned someone, chapter 13 in the book is called The Coffee Bean. Now, I didn't even know, like when I started reading the book, I had no idea this was going to be in there. You talked about a Mr. Jackson and you talked about him prior to chapter 13, but chapter 13 was like the one of the forks in the road for you. If you would, because I, I'm convinced that on our journey from paralysis to purpose, that we have people put in our lives specifically to help us get there. I call it partnerships, we can call it mentoring, whatever. I want you to talk about Mr. Jackson and 
the relationship you have with him and how that impacted you um, as you were as you were changing from an addict uh, to, to the person you are now. Yeah, Mr. Jackson was is a pivotal character in my life. And, and I call him Mr. Jackson. I mean, I've, I've changed everybody's name for the story. He went by the name Muhammad. I, so I don't have his real name. The reason why I cannot find him to this day is I don't know his real name. These guys that convert to Islam when mm-hmm. they're in prison, they give up their government name. My government name is Damon West. Yours is David Cooks. You know? right. But they give that up and they take on a Muslim name. So his name was Muhammad. So I was sentenced to life in prison by a jury, 65 years in prison on May 18, 2009. Immediately following the trial, they give my parents one last visit before I go to prison. And my mom and my dad are there. And my mom makes me promise that I will not get into one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because now I'm going to be the minority in there and I'm scared. And Mm -hmm. I put myself in this situation. They raised me better. They didn't raise me to be racist. Right. So she makes me make this promise to her. And I do, but I have no idea what I just promised. I've never been to prison. I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I don't even know anything about prison, man. Right. So when I get back to Dallas County, to my pod in county jail, I'm asking all these guys that have been to prison before, how am I going to survive? What am I going to do? And every guy across the board is telling me the same. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're all telling me the same thing. You've got to get to a gang. They tell me that lie. They tell people in the streets of America all the time, the gang is your family. The mm-hmm. gang will love you. The gang will protect you. All lies. But there was this one guy. This older black man named Mr. Jackson, man. And I say, oh, Mr. Jackson's probably in his early 60s. He had gray in here. Career criminal. Been in and out of prison four or five times. I mean, he could never get it right in his own life. Most positive guy I've ever met today. This guy had a smile on his face everywhere. When, I mean, this guy would come up to me in the mornings, and he would sit there, and he would talk to me, and he would educate me. He would tell me about things in the world, social justice, racism. He taught me so much inside that county jail, that brief period that I knew him. One morning he comes up to me and he says, man, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads and these dummies talk about you got to get into a game. He said, don't listen to these fools. He said, but let me, let me lace you up. Let me tell you what prison's going to be like. And he's telling me about prison. He's telling me prison's all about race. Wes, he said, you can't change that. That's going to be the reality. He's telling me that you got to fight all the white gangs. You want to be an independent. And after that, you got to get ready because the white gang's going to send the black gangs out and they're going to come after you and, but he told me, he said, you know, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's a lesson in life. And I've carried that with me everywhere. So let's say, what let's, he's telling let's, me, can we say that again? Because you said you don't have to win all your fights, but you need to fight all your fights. Is that what yeah, you said? Absolutely. You don't have to win all your fights, but you have to fight all your fights. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's explaining to me about going to prison that people in there are just watching to see if you're going to defend yourself and you're going to fight back. But that's a lesson in life, David. And we're going to, there's going to be some, some days you wake up and you're going to, man, you know, this day is going to whip you, but you got to go. You got no choice. You got to go or, or lay it down. You can't lay it down. So, but he's telling me this. And when he's telling me this, he's looking at a guy that's scared to death, man. And, and, and I'm, you know, he can see it in my eyes, man. I have this fear. And this is what he told me. He said, let me break it down for you another way, Wes. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. He said, anything we put in this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat mm-hmm. and pressure inside that pot. And he said, let's put three things in that pot of boiling water and watch what happens. And he, I said, he said, a carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he walks me through it. He said, a carrot goes into the water, the prison hard, but the water, the prison changes that hard carrot, turns it soft and mushy and weak. He said, the carrot got beat, he got robbed, may got raped, and he may got killed. Don't want to be the carrot. He said, now the egg, the egg goes into that water and has a soft liquid core, that malleable heart. But in that water, that soft liquid core, his heart turns hard. He said, if your heart becomes hard, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized. And you will not come back as someone your parents recognize. He said, because your eggshell will have swastikas tattooed all over it. And then he dropped the bomb on me, man. He told me about the coffee bean. And I didn't know what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water. And he told me, he said, if I put a coffee bean into that same pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now, now you got to change the name of the water Mm. to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean was the smallest of these three things. He said, small like you had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot because the power is inside that coffee bean, just like that power is inside of you. He said, everything else was changed by the water, but the coffee bean was the only thing that could change the water. You know, and the last thing Mr. Jackson told me, and he was telling me, he said, well, you know, we put out energy, negative or positive. We attract the same kind of energy back, you know, 
So he's telling me, if you want to walk around prison with a frown on your face and a mean mug, you want to look hard, you're going to attract the hard people. Right. But if you walk around with a smile on your face and let those guys know they cannot break you, no matter what they do, they can't break you, he said, you'll attract the other coffee beans. And the last thing this guy told me before I get in the prison bus, I'm being getting ready to go get shackled up to another human being and get on a bus ride to prison. He's telling me, West, go out there and go be a coffee bean. Four words, David. Be a coffee bean. Man, if this old man is shooting me straight, David, that means that the power is inside me. And if the power is mm. inside me, it's not in the hands of the criminal justice system. It's not in the hands of the guards or the other inmates. I mean, not unless I give it to them. But if right. the power is truly inside me, that means no matter what environment I'm dropped in, no matter what adversity I face in life, even a maximum security level five penitentiary in Texas, I won't survive. I will thrive. Wow. So, I mean, first of all, who gets someone to talk to them like that in prison? It's, uh, you know what? To invest their knowledge to, in them like to that. To invest I mean. their knowledge. And clearly he must have had some sort of revelation and saw that thing in you that you may not have even known was in you at the time. He, he was he was actually coaching you and you probably didn't even know that's what it was at the time. And when he said that thing is in you and what I loved about what you just said is that wherever you are, if it's in you, it's functional. Sure. It, it can be used and regardless of the environment, it's in you to be used. And I think that is, I think sometime when we start trying to find purpose, we start looking for other things when it's in you and it's, it's, it, you're, you're, I, I, you know, I believe you're born with it. You just have to find out what that is. And sometimes it's a natural skill. I was talking to someone this morning about as a kid uh, in, in school, he was always getting in trouble for talking all the time. And now he's a professional speaker and doing very well. That was his gifting, but it was out of place at the time. And he was getting yeah. in trouble and getting, you know, detentions and staying after school and getting on punishment by his parents because all he does is talk in school. That's all he does is talk in school. But that was his gift. And at the time, he, at the time, he didn't know that. Uh, the other thing that you said that was very interesting that, that he mentioned was you become institutionalized when you lose the ability to love. Is that, is that how he said that? Yeah, to love or be loved. To love or be loved. You become institutionalized. Wow. We'll just let that sit because that that's that's something else. Okay. Uh let's 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 go to um one of my favorite stories in the book. I'm a basketball coach. So um you had a story in there where you decided you were gonna play some basketball in the wreck out there in front of everybody and Playing basketball in prison, it's not like playing basketball at the neighborhood YMCA. It's just not the same. No. And perseverance is one of the things I, I love to share with people about. One of the ways I've been able to make it is that I, I won't quit. I just have to keep going. This story here, if you could tell us about, you know, your mindset going into this and how you were able to stay focused on accomplishing your purpose for playing basketball because this right here i thought um based on what the book said this was really the turning point for you uh for the rest of your stay in, in prison absolutely so the the basketball court you know that happens about six weeks into my my prison experience so i i, I get to prison and it's just like mr jackson said i mean I, i'm fighting the white gangs at first and then at in about two weeks to get through the white gangs the Aryan Brotherhood, the Aryan Circle, the White Knights, the Woods, I'm fighting them all, you know, these Nazis and skinheads. And then after that, just like he said, the Black Gangs are coming, the Crips, the Bloods, the Gangster Disciples, the Mandingo Warriors, you know, they're coming and they're hitting me hard, man. They're trying to break me. The White Gangs have sent them after me and the Black Gangs are more than happy to get with an independent white guy like that. It would not get with his own race, you know? So I'm about six weeks into this, man. And, and David, I am this close. I mean, I'm, I'm on the razor's edge of just being broken, man. And I'm, I'm done. I mean, I'm, I've even gone down to the chapel that weekend before that, the, the Saturday before that, and, and I was thinking about killing myself. And the lady down at the chapel talks me out of it. And um, so I go out there on a Monday morning to the rec yard. Now, the rec yard in that life sentence building where I live, I, I'm at the worst part of the Texas prison system because I've got a life sentence. I'm on with all the lifers. And that rec yard most segregated place I've ever seen in my life, man. When Jackson said prison was all about race, he was spot on, man. 
So the rec yard's segregated by sports, by race, man. They're like the, the, the sand volleyball court. Sand volleyball court, whites and Hispanics only. No blacks allowed. Handball, man, all the races can play handball, but you want to double up and play partners. Your partner, same skin color as you, man. You're not mixing the races. The weight stack, same thing. You want to pump that iron? That's cool. Everybody wants to pump that iron in prison. All the races can lift weights, but you want someone to spot you and work out with you? Got to be the same race as you, man. You just can't mix the races out there. That's how prison works, man. It's a, it's a, it's a very rigid system that these inmates want it like that. So I pass up all those sports that Monday morning and headed straight to the basketball court where no white guys are allowed in the basketball court. But, man, that, David, I grew up in a town called Port Arthur, Texas. I've been the only white guy. I mean, I, Port Arthur was a predominantly black town. I was the only white guy that played you know, some of the sports that are at summer parties, birthday parties, my friends group, man. I've been around black folks all my life, man. So I'm home man. I can do this, right, right, right. but I can't get in that game, man. There's no white guys allowed, but I found the flaw in their system. And I've been watching these guys for a couple of weeks. I've been thinking I take my shot after every game they play, they're going to shoot for teams and shoot for teams for a lot of listeners out there. means the first two guys to make shots get to be the team captain. That's how they keep people rotating in and out of these games in prison. Mm-hmm. So, man, I'm watching this game play out Monday morning, man, and it's it's a lopsided game. I know what side of the court the game is going to end on. And as soon as that basketball goes to that last basket for that last shot of that game, man, I went and fell in that basketball like a fumble drill in football. I got that <laughs> ball wrapped up. And when I came back up, man, that entire basketball court sucked up around. Shh, sea of angry black faces. These, wow. these, man, they are, they are mad at me, David. Give us our ball back, white boy. Man, have you lost your mind? You better give us our ball. Man, they're screaming at me. And, man, the toughest voice I could find, squeaking and crackling, man, y'all going to have to let me shoot for teams today, man. I'm playing basketball now. I'm playing basketball. What? Man, these guys are incredulous, man. They're like, dude, we're going to kill you, dude. Man, you can't do this. You're going we're going to die now, man. You're spitting on me and screaming at me. Biggest dude out there, man. There's blood from Houston named Jay Blood. Man, he gets up in my face, and Jay Blood's a big old boy, man. He gets up in my face, and he, I think he's going to knock me out, man, but he's not getting that ball, David. He says, you know what, white boy? He said, get up on the line and shoot your shot. He said, man, I hope you make this. <laughs> man, about, man, about that time, the basketball court parted and that free throw line appeared. David, that free throw line looked like the equator was so big, man. I was like, man, I'm standing at that line. And here's what's up. Here's what time it is. If I make my shot, they're going to let me play. They're going to hurt me, man. They're going to let me know I don't belong out there. But if I miss the shot, they're going to kill me. Because I didn't just disrespect the basketball court. I disrespected an entire race, man. And, and I got, I'm on an island, and I've already fought the white guys. The white guys watching this go on, and the Aryan guys, they're screaming over there, man, kill him, kill him. And they're, <laughs> they're waiting for it to happen. But, man, you know what? It's one of those times in life, Dave, where I feel like, man, I'm back into a corner, man. I got to do it. You know what? They may kill me today, but they're going to eventually kill me because my spirit's broken at this point. Mm. Man. So I get up on the line. I steal my nerve, dribble my ball. I let her rip. Nothing but net. Boom. I'm a captain, man. J-Boy gets up. He makes his shot. He's a captain, too. So we pick our teams, man. I pick my four guys. He picks his four guys. We got us a little five on five, right? Wrong. It's nine on one, man. My own teammates don't want me on that court, man. Oh, wow. And this is basketball in the life sentence building of a maximum security prison. There's no referee out there. There's no guard in that tower going to say. There's no foul. No such thing as a foul. You can punch, kick, scratch, bite, pull hair. Man, the end of that first day, I got a black eye and a busted lip, but guess what? I survived. Mm. And I came back out there Tuesday morning, man. And I looked in the mirror before I left this, before I left myself, looking at this little dingy old mirror they have in there, a piece of steel that's polished down, not a piece of glass. That's a weapon. Right. But that mirror is just a piece of steel, but I can see that, man, I'm banged up. But, man, that guy looks 100% better than the guy yesterday that was mm. scared. Okay. So I go back out to that rec yard. And, man, I, I, my, my feet hit on that basketball court, and these guys are like, Man, we thought you had enough yesterday, white boy. They're laughing at me. I mean, a lot of people laughed at me when I got to prison. They said, man, we thought you had enough yesterday, white boy. I said, man, I thought you boys were playing basketball today. What's up? You could have heard a pin drop, David. <laughs> J-Boy said, man, ain't no need for you to shoot for teams today. You're on my team right now. Get on my team, man. Come on. Man, look, if I was looking to play some basketball, I got what I was looking for. Because these folks picked me first every game after that. I didn't have to worry about shooting for teams, man. Everybody wanted to get a piece of the white boy. And, man, it was it. Every game that was being played, I was on that court, man. Every game came up, Wes, you're up, man. You, I got you first. You're up. They made sure I was going to be on that court. I didn't have to worry about it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, man. I'm out, And I'm like a pinata out there, David. I'm getting banged up from every – and I'm giving it back where I can because I'm trying to earn some respect from these dudes, right? Okay. Saturday, man. 
Saturday, six days into this, man, I'm standing at half court during this game. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Damon, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. you got to play basketball for 65 years, man. You can't even take a break. And you don't even get to shoot because no one's passing me the ball. I hadn't shot the ball since Monday, man. All I do is play defense. They don't even let me shoot the ball, man. I'm out there to play defense and get banged around, man. So someone passes me the ball. And I remember getting this ball, dribbling it up, and I'm awkward with it. I shoot my shot, and I miss it. I'm like, oh, man, I hope, hope they give me one more chance. <laughs> and they did. They passed me the ball again. And I made my shot, and I heard my change, David, because one of those guys in that court said, hey, good shot, West. West, I got my name back. I wasn't a white boy anymore, you know? Wow. And, and it's like, you know, you, you understand a lot about racism when you go in, because, you know, calling someone by the color of their skin is a very derogatory thing, and I experienced that in prison. But when I made that shot, they stopped calling me white boy. They started giving me – I got my name back. Got your name I, became, back. I became a human again. I became, I became West, you know? And after the game was over, man, these men circled up around me like they did six days before. Totally different, by the way. Everybody's dapping me up. Man, hey, Wes, what's up, Wes? Good game. And Jay Blood does all the talking again. He said, Wes, you pulled something off out here. We had never seen a white boy pull off before. He said, man, you mm-hmm. took everything we had. You gave it back when you could, man. That took guts. He said, but you never once got racial with us, man. He said, you don't have to worry about the blacks the rest of the time you're in prison. And, David, that felt good. But I'm going to tell you, the first thought that mm-hmm. went through my head it wasn't about the scared white boy that got his respect. We get that, man. That's on right, the surface. Right. Everybody sees that. But it was below the surface of that, and it was Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, that coffee bean story, because I had just witnessed us making coffee in that rec yard. you got some of these, these black men in that rec yard that got 20 years of a bad belief system. Mm-hmm. Since a guy that looks like me, my skin color, doesn't belong on their court, in their world. And in six days, those guys made a change. Those guys took me in. And if that can happen out there, I mean, I'm like, this coffee bean stuff's for real, man. And it happened just at the right time, Dave, because, I mean, it, it was – I'm going through it in prison. I, I'm becoming the egg. I don't want to be the egg. Yep. And I see that glimmer of hope that this coffee bean stuff is real, man. Mm. I'm just going to figure out how to apply it at that point. But, man, that basketball court story, like you said, was a fork in the road, man. It just – different path, man. Wow. And so you were on the edge, and that's where you got your breakthrough. Right when you were on the edge, you said you were at that point, you were getting ready to be part of the institution. And for whatever reason, sport came back into your life to save your life. It's so interesting how that of all the things you could have done, you decided to play some basketball. I'm an athlete. You know, I've been an athlete all my life and I've, I've watched these guys play, you know, as an athlete, you know, one, one thing an athlete does, an athlete looks at another athlete and sizes them up. Mm-hmm. And every time I go in that record, I'm sizing these guys up on their basketball skills. And I'm thinking to myself, David, I'm better than that chump, that chump and that chump, but I can't get that rock in my hands to prove it. So, but, but that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, but it's that competitive spirit, the competitive edge mm. and that the philosophy in life that says, man, you're going to have to kill me to break. And you know this, man. You're, yeah. You know, you since you're 15, you've been finding ways to break through and been up on the edge, man. I know you've been on the edge of oh, your yeah. life. Yeah. You, and so, you find you find way and you find people. I'm telling you, yeah. we talked about this earlier before we start recording today, how, you know, God has to use people to get to us. And <laughs> and if we are receptive and listening and, and paying attention, um, there's always, I can speak for my life too, that, Every time I needed somebody to be there for what I needed it for, they were there every single time, every, every time, every single time. And, and that's the whole philosophy that, that God has never just reached down and put his hand on my head and say, Hey, Damon, you're healed. Go on. You're healed. Yeah. No, man, God put people in my life. When I was younger, they were coaches, they were teachers, they were other positive people. And, and when I got older, there were other people like Mr. Jackson, you know, or the Dallas SWAT team that arrested me one day. And changes my life and takes me into sobriety at gunpoint, man. But God puts people in your life. Wow. That's how he works. So so um, let, let's talk about the AXED group, A-C-T-S, that came to prison. Um, because faith is a part of your journey. For, for some people on my show, it's not, and that's okay. But for those who have a faith component, I like to talk about that. There was a group of men that came in and began to minister to you. Um, and I want you to talk about that group and what it meant for you, and also the importance of accountability 
in, in dealing with your struggle of addiction? Yeah, the ACTS stands for Adoration, Community, Theology, and Service. Um, they're a Catholic-based organization, but the guys that came in were all denominations, really. I mean, um, but these guys would come in and they taught me about servant leadership, David. And, and servant leadership, the way I defined it, the way I understood it, servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in mm -hmm. life, helping to raise other people up to a different station. Right? Because when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best. And that's what we're called to do. And so these men would come into the prison and they'd give up their jobs, their homes, their cars, their lives for four days, man. They'd come on these four days retreat. Man, they were the only people I knew that were trying to get into a prison. And they wanted to be with us, to, to love on us, bring the Holy Spirit into us and, and, and allow us to feel that love and that warmth mm. that as a Christian, I feel like comes from Christ, right? So they're bringing, these, they're, they're bringing this message in. And, and on the last night of the retreat, every guy in the room is crying like baby. And these mm. biggest, baddest guys in the joint, they're broken down. They're crying. And that's, you know, it's the Holy Spirit working the room. And so I told my mom, I said, mom, you know, I called her up from the pod that on the Sunday when the retreat was over. I said, mom, I had, I had the best time in prison this weekend. And my poor mother's hurt at all. And she's like, okay. what is the best time in prison? And I told her about all these guys, these ax guys. And I said, mom, when I get out of prison, these guys are local where I live too. I said, when I get out of prison, mom, I got to find these guys. And she's, you know, she's like, baby, I believe you will. You've changed your life. I believe you will. And man, when I walked out of prison, November 16, 2015, my mother told me she first of all, she put a bracelet on my wrist. That is what these men and women in the axe community wear. It's a, just a, a bracelet with a bunch of fishing hooks. They're called Fisher of Men bracelets. Uh -huh. And that's how they identify themselves in public. And she put one on my wrist and she said, baby, I've set you up to go to one of these axe retreats they have out here in the free world. She said, in two months, you're going to your first axe retreat. Go find your friends. One of the mm -hmm. best gifts ever my mom ever gave. Wow. I mean, so, yeah, those Axe guys really were a big part of my life. They, But they they showed me that, you know, no matter what you've done, you mm -hmm. are forgiven and you can move on from that. And that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, especially being an ex-con, I mean, a formerly incarcerated person, you know, you hold on to that. If someone would have ever done mm. things to my family that I did to my family, I'd kill them. Oh. I'd probably kill them, Dave. I, I, but I, I did it. And I'm not going to kill myself. So. Right. But it's like I hold that the biggest resentment I had to get the biggest offender for an, for an addict, the biggest danger for an addict is to have a resentment. The opposite mm. of resentment is forgiveness. And so if we hold on to resentments, they poison us from the inside. A, a resentment is like drinking poison and hope the other person dies. Mm. This doesn't work, you know, not going to work. But the opposite of resentment is forgiveness. And, and so I had to get rid of my resentments to stay sober. I still have to do that to this day. Yeah. But the biggest resentment I had was me. Now, wow. how do you get rid of you? You got to figure yeah. out a way to move on. But that's what these guys did. They helped me move on from and forgive myself. We hope you're enjoying Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Paralysis to Purpose for more updates. Also, check out David's website at davidcookspeaks.com to learn more about his mission and purchase his book, Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose. Well, your, your mother was amazing through this whole thing. I, you look look here. I, I don't know her. Um, she needs to be saint, sainted eyes, whatever they call that, um, because she was she was with you. She she was stern, but she she left enough wiggle room. She. She was gonna hold you. She made you make a promise to her. What was that promise that she she said? Don't come out of here. We need to know who you are, or something like that. When you come out, don't come out here a stranger or something. You come back as the man we raised, or don't come back at all. Come back as the man we raised, or don't come back at all. So, I some of these room things, for choice. You got free will in there too, David. You yes, can do whatever you, you want. And she was speaking about things that she did not see, but she knew was there. She raised you and she saw what she saw, what she raised. She did, she didn't see what she was looking at because if she saw what she was looking at, she would have never been able to make that statement. Nope. Absolutely not. She saw she, and she's a mother I and mean, she sees that, you know, this wow. is not the man I raised. The man I raised would never be on the other side of a bulletproof glass being sentenced to life in prison, but um, 
she knew that that man was inside me somewhere and had to, you know, and wanted that man to come out. And she gave me the, this ultimatum, which by the way, like you said, man, it, it, she left the wiggle room of free will and yeah. we all have free will. And that's where, you know, I tell people all the time, there were, you know, this, one of these coaches in college said this sentence one time, it stuck with me. There's 20 letters, 10 words, maybe the most powerful sentence in the English language, because it's we're right where free will resides. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the saying is this, if it is to be, it is up to me. 20 letters, 10 words, all two words, two letters for each word. If it is to be, it is up to me. That's where you meet God. That's where the free will is, man. I shared that with my wife last night. And she said, she, I was writing it down because she was listening to what I was doing. And she said, wait a minute. My dad gave me a shirt when I graduated from high school. I think it was high school. Maybe it was college with that same 10 words on it. Wow. And yeah, I'm just telling you this happened last night for real. And, so cool. And that was the great. I was like, see, hon, this is so good. And she said, yeah, if it's up, it was going to be up to me. And I was like, it's 10 words. And what an unbelievable statement that, again, it puts some of the responsibility on you, but it also lets you know that if you want these things to happen, you may have to get some help to make it happen, but you are still responsible for the change in your life. You're still responsible for that. And I think that's what, that's what, uh, what I love a lot about your story is that um, once you were able to, you stopped making excuses at some point and you began to deal with what was, and then you, I remember you said that prison was no longer a punishment. It was an opportunity to be the best I can be. Absolutely. I'm it like, was, dude. I had a cellmate named Carlos that was telling me one night, I was telling him about the coffee. This is after the basketball court. This is about a, a couple of weeks after the basketball court story. Carlos, <clears throat> you read the book, Carlos saved my life in a different way a few weeks after the basketball court story. And, uh, so Carlos and I were having a discussion one night and I was telling him about the, the coffee bean and, and Carlos was a real animated little guy. He comes down off the top bunk. He's like, Oh my God. He said, I love the coffee bean story. He said, but you're no coffee bean and you're never going to be a coffee bean. And, and I got angry with Carlos. I mean, what do you mean? How can you tell me I can't be a coffee bean? We're actually arguing about this. He said, man, because of the way you think, he said, the way you think controls the way you act. He said, all action is born of thought. He said, and thoughts without action they're just thoughts. And he pointed to the day room downstairs and the day room in a prison has all of these inmates running around and watching TV. And they're just, it's crazy, chaotic in a day room. He said, that day room is thoughts without action. All those guys, they, they'll never do anything they say they're going to do. That's because they just think things. He said, but if you want to become that coffee bean, you got to stop looking. He said, you got to change your mindset because you got to change the way you think, Damon. He said, you have to stop looking at prison as a punishment and start looking at prison as your opportunity. And man, when he said this, it didn't even, compute. And I'm, I told him, I said, Carlos, we're serving life in a maximum security prison in Texas, man. This is a punishment, brother. He said, this is your opportunity, man. Your opportunity to work on yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week, become the best version of yourself possible. He said, what are you prepared to do with this opportunity? Mm. He wouldn't call prison a punishment. And so, I mean, so I, I, I started changing my mindset because that's what has to happen at first. You've got to, you know, you've got to start changing the way you think if you want to change the way you act, you know? Yes. yes. Wow. I, the fact, again, I keep coming back to these people that are in your life that are, are dropping life saving, life saving nuggets on you. Absolutely. That, and you were able, it's such a grace that you were able to receive those things and then turn them into what they were supposed to be. I mean, th- that doesn't sound like what Carlos just said to you. That doesn't sound like prison talk. No, that, 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 it wasn't. Right. And, and the fact that I even got to be cellmates with this guy, this guy is, is I mean, he's, you know, a couple of cellmates. I had to get another cellmate named Sabor, man. And, and just like I got put with some of the most knowledgeable people that, that and this is a total God thing. I mean, these people are in my life. And it's crazy, too, David, because these messengers come to you. And this is what I tell people about life when I when I talk about social justice and racism and, and how we're all in this together. Man, imagine if I'd have been closed off, David. What if I'd have been that guy that says, you don't look like me. You didn't, you didn't grow up where I grew up. You don't have the same skin color. You don't have the same American experience as I did. I'm not going to listen to what you say. I would have missed the coffee bean. I would have missed changing the way I think and changing my mindset, taking action. I'd have missed all these things because oh. I'd have been closed off to it. 
Our messengers come to us in so many different ways. God sent Muslims, Christians, Black, Asian, Hispanics. He sent all kinds of different people in my life. Yeah. And he does it in your life, too. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. Well, you let's we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I want to talk about a couple more things. You you are uh, you get out of prison early. Read the book, y'all, because that story is crazy as well. Just one miraculous thing after another. And you you get out. I love the story about how you went to Whataburger, I think it was. And <laughs> you and, and and you know, you don't even think about this until I, I read it in the book, how you know you had gotten so conditioned to respond to certain things because of being in prison. People bumping into you, all that kind of stuff. And then you're coming to this restaurant and you're overwhelmed with just what do you do in this? You know, how do you and all of those adjustments that you ended up having to make, um, what was that like? How, how, how long was that? Is that process still going on? Does that ever end? Sensory overload is what I called that in, in Whataburger, man. You got sensory, because everything in, in prison is just white or gray. The walls are the stainless steel concrete walls. Guards wear one color uniform. The inmates wear the white, you know, so I go into a Whataburger, there's a flashing orange sign. I mean, there's people wearing different colored clothes. People are bumping into you. It's like, and you don't bump into someone in prison without, not without saying, excuse me. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, man, so it took a little bit of adjustment and I, and I had, here's the thing too, I, I'm going to give this caveat, say it, is that I had every advantage and privilege coming out of prison that I had before I went into pr prison because mm. I had a family waiting for me, um, a family waiting for me, a, a great job waiting at a law firm. I did not have to experience the reentry process the way most men and women coming out of prison have to experience it. Mm -hmm. I've been so blessed. So I don't want to discount that at all. But even given all that, there was still a big adjustment to make. One of the biggest adjustments I had to make was relationships. And I talked about this at the beginning. Um, I got into my program, my 12 step program recovery. I just transitioned from prison to the outer prison part. And my sponsor that I got and started working the steps and, you know, man, look, I've been locked up for almost a decade. I want, I want a date, you know, I want, I, you know, I want to go out with, with women, but he's like, look, he said, do me a favor. He mm. said, don't get into any kind of relationship until you've worked all 12 of the steps. Okay. And he said, the reason why is because I want you to have a good foundation for being accountable, for being trustworthy for being able to make good decisions, for being able to discern what's what's real and what's not, yeah. and for being able to get rid of your resentments. He said, I want you to have that foundation so you can make good decisions and find a partner that is good for you and you're good for them. Wow. So I had to wait to start mm. dating to work my program recovery. But you know, David, one of the things about dating, dating was not a fun experience for me coming out of prison. I'm on parole for the rest of my life. Right. And I've got to be very selective about everybody I hang out with. Mm. And I tell audiences all the time, if you show me who you hang out with, I can tell you who you are. And that's a fact of life, man. But so I cannot get myself into a relationship with someone that doesn't have the same kind of value system as me. Someone that, that might say, Hey, if, we, if you break up with me, I'm going to call the cops. That's a life changing event for me. Yeah. You know, for, for some people that's like, okay, well, I got to, you know, they might put the cuffs on me, they might not. And they put the cuffs on me, I go back to prison for the rest of my mm -hmm. life. So dating wow. wasn't fun. And, I, and I, I feel so grateful to have met my soulmate. Through, I mean, I just, I'm Kendall, my wife, who I'm married to now, we, we met through some friends uh, one night and it didn't happen all right away. That's not the mm -hmm. way God will put the right person in your life when the right time and you're ready for it. But I, I, I got to tell you, man, Kendall and I got married. My first time I've ever been married. We got married on May 18th, 2019. Now, the book, The Change Agent, starts off May 18th, 2009, yeah. which is the day I got sentenced to life in prison by that jury in Dallas. So 10 years mm -hmm. to the day I got married for the first time. My wife, she'll joke around and say, you went from one life sentence to another. So, <laughs> I love it. That's pretty good. But adjusting to good. life. Uh, and, and, and look, here's the here's what I call it: living life on life's terms, man. Adjusting mm -hmm. to life on life's terms, letting wow. letting things happen around me. Then you're not now. I'm not trying to control everything. Now I understand that I'm just going to work on those four things I control, and and everything else going to be God's. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to have to remind myself when I want to try to grab something that's not mine. 
David, that's not yours. That's God's. Let God do his thing. You do your thing and back off. And, and do I do this perfectly every day? Lord, no, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm a flawed but decent person. I make a lot of mistakes. I stumble. I fall. But I get back up, David. And I, I don't have to win all those fights, but I get up and fight all those fights every single day. I that's went and spoke to the Minnesota Timberwolves basketball team. And the Minnesota, one of the guys on the Timberwolves, I don't know who it was that asked me this. One of the players said, do you think being white helped you make parole and the light and, and basically get out and do what you're doing? And now what he, that was a test because if I'd have said, well, no, I did everything I was supposed to do. All this other, man, I said, dude, absolutely being white helped me yes. with that. Being white helps. Everything. Yeah, I, did. I got this great, I got a two parent family. I got a great support system. I know all these people, the community that wrote letters to, to the prison people and said, Hey man, let Damon go. He's a good guy. Heck yeah. Being white, but I'm trying to find a way to pay that forward. man. Yes. You know what he said? He said, that's a great answer. That's a, that's that's a, a, third, answer. That's a real good answer because it's, it's, the, it's the truth. You don't dodge it. You don't dodge the truth. It's just the truth. And you that's know it. what? That's America. You can't help it. You white. Yeah. You white. Yeah. You are white. <laughs> yeah. That's it. But I mean, but that's the thing. I, I've always, you know, when the, the 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 George Floyd murder happened last May, and then the, the the Black Lives Matter movement blew up over some of the protests. And Jim Rohn got in touch with me. He said, "Hey, man, I want to do a podcast with you." And I said, "Jim, I'll do it, but I want to use your platform to talk about racism in America." He's like, "Man," his producer was like. No white man in America wants to talk about racism. What do not you want to say? That time. And I told I told him the same stuff that we talked about today. He said, we got to do this podcast. And we did it. And it, I mean, it spread like wildfire. Like, uh, athletic departments were bringing me in to speak to all the athletes. Ole Miss, Ole Miss brought me in to speak to every athlete on campus and to specifically talk about racism. The U.S. Army brings me into an Army base every month to train troops and to talk about race. They're trying to ferret out racism in, in the ranks of right. the Army. Right. They're like, you talk about all the stuff, everything we just talked about in the pocket, talk about all that. Yeah. Tell every troop you can, everyone in the military you can about racism. What what the definition no, is. Because here's what the generals are saying. The generals are saying, look, man, all, all my commanders, all these colonels and stuff, they're white. You know, we can't. It's a very uncomfortable conversation. Racism is a very uncomfortable yeah. conversation for a white person to have. But, Damon, you come into a room, you, you drop a flashbang grenade in the room, and now we can all talk about it. Hey, let's talk about what Damon talked about. Yeah, so your, your 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 experience look man see it's hard to argue with what you've been through when you start talking your 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 your, your resume your resume is so tight yeah. that there's no discussion you didn't there's you can't argue with you about this you just can't, write a book you can't there's the cancel culture line and you're just hovering right above it because yeah. All the stuff that would normally get you in the cancel culture, when you start talking about that, you're like, ah, I got a little bit more of a resume built up for that. Yes. And it's, they lock up the right guy. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. Yeah, because that, of all that, my experiences, I've got this currency I can spend anywhere I want. That statement will somewhere appear somewhere when this is all edited and ready to post that. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. What an absolute marketing. If you aren't using that, sir, let me, let me help you okay <laughs> let me just help you that right there is worth gold here's a chance to win a signed copy of david's inspiring book detailing his personal journey getting undressed from paralysis to purpose each month there will be two giveaways just leave us a review of today's podcast on the platform you're listening from it's that easy well look we we need to close but before we do I want to find out what's next for you. What's on the docket? Um, I think you mentioned something about a foundation. I want you to share that. One of the things that I find uh, interesting about you, there's a whole lot of things, and I look forward to getting to know you more, was just the fact that you were already serving while you were in prison. Uh, you were tutoring people and helping people learn how to read. And, and so that was in you before you came out. In fact, I, I, I think there was a quote somewhere in the book, it said, the person I need to be out there must be born in here. Absolutely. And, and that meant that was everything. That was my getting into shape. You know, that was working out every day, spiritually, mentally, and physically inside mm -hmm. there. And your mental and spiritual workout, well, that's where servant leadership is. And that's where giving back. And so I, when I was in prison, I had to find ways to be useful. And, and 
it was tutoring guys using the skills that I had out there. Um, but you know, I, I ran into, I've always told people this, that black men have had a very big impact in my life and they've done it. You know, I've been in proximity of them before prison, but especially during prison, Mr. Jackson, and this other guy named Sabor, who I talked about my former cellmate, you know, Sabor asked me on the way out of prison, he says, man, are you going to talk about the stuff you saw in here? And I was like, yeah, man, Sabor, I will, man. When I get on my feet, I promise you, brother, I will. And his response back to me, now what Sabor wants to know if I'm going to talk about too is social justice, racism, disparities in the system, man. I mean, I've been inside this prison system. And what he said back to me after I said I would, he said, you know, he said, good. He said, sometimes they lock up the right guy. You know, sometimes they lock up the right guy, David. And, and I mean, that hit me between the eyes, but it's become a call to action in my life because here's the deal, man. I am the right guy. I, I, I'm that rare white guy that's have to, that's been able to experience racism because I mean, racism is about the imbalance of power. And it means one race has more power over another race to write laws affect where they live, how they live, the kind of schools they go to. And in America, white people have that power. It's very hard for a white person in America to say I've experienced racism before, David, because White people have the power, and it's, that's why it's so hard. Now, when a white friend comes up to me and says, hey, Damon, that person of color was being racist towards me or saying racist stuff, and I, I stop them, man, because definitions are important. And I tell them, no, what you've just experienced is prejudice. Mm-hmm. And prejudice means to prejudge. That's the root word of prejudice, prejudge. Right. Right. You've experienced prejudice, and prejudice is not an exclusively white thing. Every race and religious group, anybody can be prejudiced against somebody, right. but racism, exclusively white. Now, when Sabor's saying sometimes I like up the right guy is the fact that I have experienced racism before. I'm the rare white guy that has. I've been in an environment where being white wasn't an advantage anymore, where the color of my skin means I couldn't sit on a certain row of benches, or I get my face kicked in, or I got to go to the basketball court to earn that, you know? So I've experienced racism for a small amount of time. I have an empathy with someone who has gone and experienced racism. Basically, I have empathy with every black person in America, because if you're black in America, you've experienced racism without a doubt, probably every day that you've walked on the, walked around the streets of America. So here's the deal. When I got out of prison and my life started taking off and I go around talking about social justice stuff all the time. And, and I, I became a criminal justice professor. I, I went on and got my master's in criminal justice. I teach a class called prisons in America. You know what I tell the students on the first day, forget about what you think you know about the criminal justice system mm-hmm. in America, because there's not just one criminal justice system in America. There are many. There's wow. Black one. There's a black one, there's a white one, there's a brown one, there's a rich one, there's a poor one, there's one for cops. You know, they got their own criminal justice system. So it depends on who you are and where you fit on that spectrum mm. is the kind of justice you can expect to receive in the United States of America if you get mixed up in the criminal justice systems. And, and what I tell them is that when you go into a prison, you look at this prison, half the faces that look back, almost half the faces that look back at you are black men mm-hmm. instead of prison. Yeah. Black men, black men make up six and a half percent of our population of this entire country, but they make up almost 50 percent of your prison population. Something's wrong with America, David. So mm-hmm. I had to figure out where I fit in in the criminal justice reform movement when I got out of prison, because a lot of people want to attach themselves to a guy that, you know, that his star is taking off like that. But I never found something until until just recently. Um, I was having dinner with a friend of mine named Dabo Swing. Dabo's a coach. Over yeah. At Clemson. Clemson. yeah, it's a football coach at Clemson. So. Dabo is telling me about a foundation that his foundation raises money for this group called Call Me Mister. Hmm. Call Me Mister is a program they have at Clemson. They've got it at about 20 colleges. Started at the HBCUs about 20 years ago. What Call Me Mister does is they take a, a black man that's graduating high school, a black boy, 18 years old, graduating high school somewhere. We'll use South Carolina, for example, in Charleston, inner city Charleston. This guy graduates high school and they say, hey, we're going to give you a scholarship to Clemson for elementary education. You come here, you be mentored with our Mr. Program. And at the end of that four years, you're going to become an elementary school teacher and you're going to go back and teach in an at-risk school, a, a Title I type school, because there's Johns Hopkins study that says that, hey, if a black boy has a black male teacher in the formative years of second to fifth grade, that boy is about 36 to 40 percent more likely to graduate high school. I mean, he's more likely to become a teacher because he's seen it's possible. I learned that less than 2% of the teachers in America are black men. Now think about this. Almost yeah. 50% of your prison population is black men, yeah. but less than 2% of your public education teachers are black men. 
So when Davo was telling me that, my wife and I were there. We started this foundation during the pandemic. And we're like, we're trying to find the right method, reason for it. And it hit us. I want to do something with criminal justice reform with, my, with this foundation of ours. And, and she also especially wants to do something with children and education. Here it is. Here's the program. It's called Mr. Coffee Bean. Mm. Our Mr. Coffee Bean candidate, and we're doing this in the state of Louisiana, by the way. We got the green light from the governor last month. Never been done before in America. We're going to the Louisiana prison system. And we are looking for five black male inmates. And these men are going to have non-aggravated, non-aggravated, non-violent crimes. They're going to have low-level offenses. They're going to have a little bit of time left on their sentence. And they're going to have to have the aptitude to get into college and pass a teacher certification exam. We're looking for our five guys right now, five black men in the Louisiana prison system. And we're going to transport those five guys when we find them to one prison in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the Hunt facility. And we're going to get LSU to come in there and teach these guys. My foundation is going to pay for all of this, all their education. They're going to get an elementary school education inside of prison from LSU. And when they graduate, and pass your teacher certification exam, the governor is going to parole them out of prison, and we're going to stick them in the toughest elementary schools in the state of Louisiana. Ninth Ward of New Orleans, Baton Rouge, the parishes that have the, the, the biggest at-risk elementary schools, we're going to stick this man, this mentor, this guy. Now we're talking about criminal justice reform on multiple levels. We're talking about you're, you're taking you're talking about second chances. You're yeah. these five men are going to win, win the Willy Wonka golden ticket, man. This is the lottery if you're if you're locked up. And these men are going to go in there and they're going to they're going to take a situation in elementary school. They can go down the hallway. Any kid that's acting up, pull that kid aside and say, hey, son, let me tell you about the choices you're making in life. Let me tell you my story. And what you're doing, you're doing pre-intervention with these kids. Mm -hmm. You're breaking the cycle of incarceration by sticking a black man that's been in a prison before into an elementary school. And my foundation, look, because we're because one of the co-founders, my wife and I found this because one of us has been through the reentry process. Remember, I told you I was blessed when I went through it, mm -hmm. but I know that it's hard. So what my foundation is going to do when these men graduate and they get paroled for their first year, we, 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 we give them a car, we give them a wardrobe, give them a place to live, and we're going to take care of their first year student teacher salary because we don't want to just take them from a prison, and stick them in the classroom full of screaming kids. We're going to make them a student teacher, but at no cost to the taxpayer, we're going to take care of all that for you for the first year, because I believe that if. If a, if a person is going to succeed, they have to have the tools to succeed. Yes. yes. And that is my answer for criminal justice reform. We are going to turn black incarcerated men into elementary school teachers in the toughest school systems in America. And we're going to change the incarceration. That's amazing. I Never been done before. I, yeah. I didn't expect, I had no idea what you're going to be talking about. That is revolutionary. Um, yeah. How do people... How do people support that? Is there, are they able to make contributions to that foundation? What, what's the mechanism to, to try to be involved in that if people want to be a part of that? Yeah, I mean, we're, our website should be up and running in a couple of weeks. It's beacoffeebeanfoundation.org. Okay. Um, and listen, if you make an online contribution, 100% of online contributions go towards the program themselves, not yep. the operation of the foundation. And the foundation is completely run by volunteers. Everybody from the board members to myself, to my wife, who's the executive director, no one takes a salary. It's all volunteer. But this is the purpose, I think. This is one of the purposes why God let me go, because and this is what Sabor was talking about. Sometimes they lock up the right guy. I went to the director of prisons in the state of Louisiana last, last month, and I pitched it to him. I said, man, I just need you to have an open mind for what I'm about to pitch you. And he got it immediately. He said, the time is right for this. I want Louisiana to be the first state to ever do it. Once one state does this, oh. David, it's going to spread like wildfire. We'll have Mr. Coffee Beans all over this country. And in about 10 or 12 years, you're going to be able to interview kids that said, hey, man, that teacher was the one that made a difference in my that's, life. That's substantive change. That's real change. That not, not only will that change outside of the prison, it will change inside of the prison because the incentive is now going to be there because they know on the other side of this, they have an opportunity and a real chance, a real chance for reentry. So that right there, outside of the Good Samaritan story in the Bible, which this mirrors an awful lot, 
where they got gave the man, he said, here's some money, here's some clothes. And if there's other stuff he needs, let me know so I can take care of it. This is exactly what you've mirrored and what you've done. And that's, look, man, I, I, I you know what? Um, we need to just end the podcast on that because we're going to set that bar up here for the next guest. Oh my God. Are you serious, man? Um, the coffee bean foundation. And they are taking men from prison, black men and giving them an education so they can become elementary level teachers and impact the lives of some of the kids who struggle the most. See, that's the solution. See, see that seats. And this is one of the, one of the real challenges I have when I begin to, to have discussions with people, um, black and white, uh, and whoever about social justice that, well, what can we actually do? Let's talk about something that is practical that we can get done. You know, how can we um, get rid of the food deserts in the urban areas? How can we eliminate some of the liquor stores and check cash in places that, that flood our communities? How do we change that? How can we stop that from happening? Um, and those are real conversations that are difficult, but need to be had. And in the process of criminal justice reform and um, racial justice and all the things that are in our nation right now, this right here, when the word gets out about this, you think you're busy now? <laughs> if you think you're busy now, man, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're going to be, you, 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 will, you will have plenty to do and you will have plenty of great stories. Journal, I, I'm sure you are, uh, journal all of this. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I'm documenting as much as I can with my little iPhone. Um, but David, I do believe that this is going to be real change that you can, it, I, I think that, but it, it takes someone like Sabor said, that other people will listen to. Yeah. And I told you at the very beginning, I feel like there's ways that, it, you know, like if you didn't know who I was, you just heard Damon West, his former college athlete that was locked up, got out of prison. He's talking to people. You might think I was a black guy because I got a very ethnic name, you know, yeah. but it's a white guy. And it's a story that people gravitate towards for different reasons. But I've been given this foundation, this platform, this giant platform for a guy that's been out of prison for five years and I got to figure out what am I supposed to do with this thing? God, what do you have? Why are you giving me this thing? Because, you know, I can't mess this up. I got the Willy Wonka golden ticket myself. Wow. And I can't mess this up, man. So I got to figure out what to do. And I, I really believe this is one of the reasons why I was, why I was let go. And I think that um, mm. I'm excited about it, David. I want to come back on your podcast. Yeah. We're, I want we're, to come back on your podcast with, with my guys, my five guys. Yeah, we look, we got to do this again and some more again because we didn't even really touch the surface. It's so much and so rich and, and it's a series of things that we can talk about, but your passion for people, for justice, um, to make a difference in the world. I mean, it, it exudes through you like athleticism does for the highest level athlete. You know, they got that thing. You have the it factor in what you're doing. And everybody doesn't have that. And that's why they can't do what you're doing. They can't see what you see. And that's okay. It doesn't make them not good people. They just don't have the it factor. So let me just encourage you and your wife and everybody that this is remarkable. I, I, I look, it's not often I don't know what to say. I talk for a living. And I told you it was going to, I told you it was going to blow your hair back. And it, I, I don't know. What it's going now. So look, people, go to his website. Uh, they, what's your website, man? I can't even think. My website is damonwest.org. And that's, uh, you know, my books can be found anywhere books are sold. Amazon, oh, yeah. Barnes & Noble's books, a million. Yeah. Uh, damonwest.org, if you want more information on the foundation. The foundation should be up and running soon. The Be A Coffee Bean Foundation.org. Yeah, I follow him on Twitter and other things, too. And uh, But that's how At you Damon get West 7. Yep, you yes, get a hold of him there. And uh, thank you for your time, your message, your enthusiasm. I'm humbled by this today. This was this was crazy. And so until next time, this is David Cooks reminding you that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. From paralysis to purpose. Yeah. Paralysis.
paralysis to purpose. Oh, paralysis to purpose. Thanks for tuning in to Paralysis to Purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paralysis to Purpose on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. To purchase his book, visit davidcookspeaks.com. Next time on Paralysis to Purpose. And we had no idea how I would ski. And I wasn't going to figure it out sitting on this couch at home. Mm. I wasn't going to figure it out Googling, right? I had to get out there to the ski hill, even though I had no idea how. And I looked over at my ski instructor. He had huge feet. (laughs) So now I'm about 11 years old and I'm a little bit inappropriate. And I'm thinking, he's got huge feet. (laughs) And then I got a light bulb. I could put my thighs in men's ski boots. Boots are angled and I face planted, Mm -hmm. but then we just turn them around. I don't have toes. So we put my thighs, my stumps in men's ski boots backwards. And then I was in the skiers duck squat angled position from the angled boots, but I wouldn't have figured that out at home, right? So even though you don't know how you get started.